You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center's Pastors Scott and Tina Whitwan. All right, we're going to continue on talking about end times and the rapture. This is my, the sixth lesson, and I, I hope you would join us on Thursday night. We have a companion lesson going on uh, with that. Is, uh, uh, Pete is teaching on end times also, but he is, his, his material is not the same as my material. So you need to come and hear it. I mean, it's important to hear from many people. And then filter it all by the Word. Right? We don't listen to just one human voice. People get in trouble when they do that. You know, Jonestown. When you start listening to one voice, or you create entire organizations and denominations that are meant to control with one voice. There is only one one voice we should ever be listening to, and that's the Holy Spirit. But many revelations, you know, revealed portions of Scripture are important. That's why, you know, we, I listen to many different Bible teachers. I love to, to hear their perspective. I learn stuff. You never are too old or too smart to stop learning, right? We should try to learn something new every day. They say the knowledge of the world is doubling close to every year now. Are you twice as smart as you were last year? <laughs> so we got a ways to go. All right, go with me to 1 Thessalonians 4.17. This has been the, the, the verse that we have used to, to launch this, this message off. Let's read it again. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Father, we thank you that our destination from today forward is to always be with you. And Father, whether it's here on the earth or whether it's at the time of the rapture, we anxiously await the harvest of the saints and the reuniting of the kingdom. And I thank you, Father, that as we open the word today, that we give you honor. Holy Spirit, we ask that you lead us, that you guide us, and that you guard us. And we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So let me start again with four new questions today, or four questions anyways. What do these last days mean for the church? What do these last days mean for the church? Number two, what is the difference between the rapture and the resurrection? Number three, was Jesus the first to be raptured? And number four, when will this be? When will this be? And that's an age-old question. The disciples asked it, and, and it's a question that people always ask. When will it be? In fact, is. Um, Cleavon Little and Gene Wilder from the movie, I don't know if you, you remember the, the movie Blazing Saddles. Um, here's a quote. Cleavon asks him, he says, A man drinks like that and doesn't eat, he's going to die. And Gene Wilder responds, when? <laughs> so, um, you know, and so everybody's always wanting to know when. When is Jesus going to return? 
And there have been many books written on the subject. And what were you telling me? There's a new one, a new one out about something about 2023? There's a new book out that Jesus is coming March 2023. Praise the Lord. Get ready. Well, from my perspective, he's already here. I'm just waiting for him to, 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 to reveal himself to the whole world and take me to my mansion in the sky. Amen? Amen? But I remember 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988. All right, was Aaron? I don't even know if my... No, my son wasn't even born when that... No, that's when Jesus was coming is 88. So the book had to have been written in 87 or 86. So, I mean, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988. Well, praise the Lord. There were people up on housetops and white sheets. When? All right, so we're going to talk about the rapture today. It's also called sometimes the resurrection from the dead. But I want to differentiate. I want to differentiate. Because, see... Lazarus was resurrected. He was not raptured. After the cross, when Jesus was put in the tomb, he was first resurrected. And so, I, Eric, put up this, uh, this slide I've got. Now, these are just people's depictions, okay? And I pulled them off the internet. I thought it'd be kind of neat, kind of put a little uh, visual with it. Okay, let's see, turn this on, da, 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 push this button. There we go. Jesus is resurrected, coming out of the tomb. And that had to have been an awesome sight. All right? But the rapture is different. And here's one person's depiction of it. There we go. All of the Christians li live in foggy places, obviously. Because in the sunny green area, there's nobody going up. No desert. There's another depiction. Here comes, here's Jesus, the rapture, and the angels are coming. And here's another one. There we go. Close it all. There we go. Make sure you got Prada on that day or Ferragamo, you know, so. There we go. God reaching down from heaven. This is the rapture. God reaching his hand in and Grabbing hold of the, of the church. I think that's the last one I've got. So just a couple little visuals to go. So the rapture is different than the resurrection. We're going to talk about the, the rapture a little bit today. Go with me to John chapter 14 and verse 3. John 14 and verse 3. And Jesus said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. See, Jesus declared a second coming and a claiming of the church to himself. This is what we call the rapture. We call this the rapture. The only way to get us where he is when he comes is he must rapture us. I mean, we've got to go. Unless we find Daniel's, or not Daniel's, but uh, Jacob's ladder and climb it 
of movie references in my head today. The sons of Katie Elder. Clummet. You find that ladder and Clummet. The guy clumbed Pike's Peak. I watched way too many westerns in my day. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Do you know the word rapture never appears in Scripture? The word rapture is not, not even in, in Scripture. But we get the term rapture from the Greek word harpazo. And it literally, harpazo means to catch up, to seize, to catch away, or pluck. And that's why I put that big hand. It's like God reaching down and just plucking, plucking the church up. I thought that was pretty neat. But that's what, what it literally means. But the word raptured or rapture is not used. But for this lesson, I'll continue to use the term because we all know what it means. It means to catch up. From our perspective, when we talk about the rapture, it means to be caught up, seized, taken away. So let's talk about Jesus' rapture over in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. Acts 1, 10 and 11. And it says, While they looked up steadfastly towards the heaven... As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing into heaven? Why do you keep looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will also, in like manner, as you saw him go, return. He'll come. And so, when he comes, when he so comes, I mean, he, just like he went up, he's coming back, back down. We will be taken up. That word there, taken up, caught up, defines what we call the rapture, the taking away, or the taking, the taking up. So Jesus was raptured after he was resurrected. Two different occurrences. Now I want you to think about this. There are, there are so many key components in this. When we talk about you know, the fact that, that because Jesus resurrected from the dead, you know, now we're, we can be saved. And yeah, but think about, think about this. Jesus had to die. He had to beat sin on its own playing field. He had to die. Then he had to, to lay in the tomb three days. Why? Because it says he had to go and take captivity captive. He had to take the keys of Hades, of sin and death for you and I. And then once he had the keys to sin and death, he was resurrected. But it couldn't end there. Because while he was resurrected, he was not yet appointed as your high priest where he could forever make intercession for you and I. He had to be raptured so that his blood could be poured upon the altar of God in heaven and where he could be appointed high priest according to the order of Melchizedek 
where He now stands and makes intercession continually for you and I. So He not only had to be resurrected, He also had to be raptured in order to take His rightful place. And so Jesus was resurrected, and He was raptured, and it says just like He was raptured and taken to heaven, He is going to come in the same manner. And that is going to be an awesome, awesome sight. Now we're going to read quite a bit of, quite a bit of Scripture here. I'll probably stop a few times along the way, but all from Matthew 24. We're going to start in verse 29 and go all the way through 47. This will be like story time with Uncle Ernie. I don't know who Uncle Ernie is, but it'll be just like that. Praise the Lord. Did you remember when you were in like kindergarten and they used to take you up? I don't know about you, but when I was in school, when I was like in kindergarten, they'd take you up to the library and somebody there would read you stories. And I remember some of them that were really good. That was fun. I enjoyed story time. First off, I didn't like to read anyways until I got into eighth grade. I just didn't like it. Just not enjoyable to me. And then in eighth grade, I had a teacher teach me how to speed read. She had gone through this Evelyn Wood thing, and she was teaching some of the kids, um, you know, how, how to, uh, to speed read. Mrs. Pope at Nisqually Junior High. How did, and so it at least became enjoyable. But I didn't have anything I liked to speed read. So I still didn't start reading. And when I was in ninth grade and went into high school, they put me into the developmentally disabled reading class. Right? Okay, whatever. You know. Well, from my perspective, when I was in ninth grade, this was awesome because this is an easy A. You remember back in high school, you, you, when, when I was, you got to pick your classes, and you looked for all of the electives that were easy A, metal shop, wood shop, PE, agriculture, horticulture, forestry. I mean, I, yeah, home ec, yeah, that's right. And so this, for me, was like, okay, I can do this. Well... It wasn't long, not while I was in that class, but I was in another class. I don't even know what class it was. And a teacher in there says, why, why, why are you even in that class? You don't have a reading problem. He says, read this book. And he gave me a book about basketball. And I read it like in a couple days. Did a book report on it. He goes, you don't have a reading problem. What you've got is a material problem. Nobody's giving you anything you like to read. I said, well, that's true. I certainly didn't like reading math problems. I still don't like reading them today. Because they're stupid. Mike's going to Jacksonville, has three chickens. He's taking three chickens, and he's getting on a train. So he's taking three chickens on a train. He meets Pete, who's brought two cows with him to go to Jacksonville. And here comes Sam, and he's going to Seattle. And then they ask you something stupid, like, how many sisters does Sam have? Well, what do the chickens, the cows, and everything else have to do with this story? So they found out I didn't really have a reading problem. This teacher found out I loved westerns. 
And this guy named Louis L'Amour wrote westerns. My aunt had, you remember the big brown paper bags you used to get at the grocery stores? My aunt had, I think, a couple of those, but she gave me one of them. I'm talking, I read every one of those books. As long as I could do my reading and book reports on things that Louis L'Amour wrote, the sackets, you know, I could read. How did I get off on this? What was I even talking about? Oh, I'm going to read a lot this morning. I'm going to read a lot this morning. And I said, it's like story time. How in the world did I get off on that? But I might as well tell you the conclusion of it is I got so good at reading that when I got into information technology, they could hand me two, three, four hundred page reports and books for meetings the next morning. I could speed read them, show up at the meeting, have meetings with contractors and tell them about their errors that were in the manual and things that needed to be changed in a telecommunication install or a data install or an equipment install or, you know, whatever, an electrical install. There we go. There's a conclusion of the story. It has no meaning to what we're doing today, but story time with Uncle Ernie. All right. Have you found verse 29 of chapter 24 yet? Praise the Lord. Immediately after the tribulation of those days... The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. That is going to be something that's pretty awesome. Immediately after. See, that's going to be, that's going to be awesome. You know where that comes from, right? It comes from, it comes from the book of Joel. Go with me to Joel 2, verse 30 and 31. In Joel's prophecy, he says, And I will show you wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Verse 31. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And we talked about last week the fact that we have already entered into the tribulation 2,000 years ago. So immediately after the tribulation, then there's going to be Like Pete was talking about on Thursday night, Armageddon. It's going to be awesome, but Jesus is coming back. There's a rapture that's taking place. You know where else we can find this revelation given again in a prophecy? In the revelation of the Apostle John, chapter 6, verse 12. Revelation 6, 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And we know that we've had four blood moons since 1 AD that have landed on Jewish holidays. And now, there, what was the, the next one, a pink moon? I don't know what a pink moon is. You know, I, but we're going to have another. I mean, it's awesome. I don't know if you remember, was it two or three years ago, when the Jerusalem star appeared. It was during fireworks season. Uh, they said that Jupiter, it was a Jupiter and Venus had come into alignment and it hadn't happened since the time of the birth of Christ and the, the light from it, you could see it for weeks. There are some signs that, that, that are, you know, have been prophesied about some things happening in our day. I think it's kind of cool. 
But God always confirms his word out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. So here we have it in Joel, we have it in Jesus and the prophecy that John was given. Verse 29, the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven. What will that be like? I mean, is it going to be like a, a 50 mile by 50 mile LED sign? Jesus is coming. So we can all see it. You got to remember too that, that when, when these prophecies came, like, like the Apostle John in, in Revelation, when you read some of the symbology that, that he has in there, the things that he says, and we look now at modern warfare type items, and, and we could see how some of the things that, that, that he prophesied then could easily be uh, you know, realized today. You know, and then we look at a time when people, until Galileo, thought the earth was flat. They thought that it was just a sheet. And so they didn't understand about the complexity of a sign in heaven being so magnificent it can be seen from every point upon the earth. From the South Pole, the North Pole, and from every place in the circumference from the east and west. I mean, that's a sign. That's a sign of signs. It kind of reminds me of God's rainbow. You know, it's interesting because a rainbow moves. Because it's based upon your perception of the light. So... I'm wondering if when Jesus comes, if there's going to be some type of the same type thing, you know, where you're moving, the rainbow's moving, you're like, wow. You know, that's why I've never been able to find a pot of gold under one. Remember that old, whatever, I don't even know where it came from, wise tale, myth, whatever. Oh, I'm not Irish. I'm Scottish, I'm pretty close. Um, <laughs> Um, but it's going to be a magnificent sign. Whether you're here in Arizona or whether you're in the Yukon, you're going to see the same sign. It's going to be a wonder in heaven, and it precedes Jesus. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Wow. Because this is, all the earth is going to see this. In Tim LaHaye's series, Left Behind, he has some incredible imagery about the coming of Messiah. It's going to be awesome. But I can guarantee you, no matter how magnificent your mind can put together a perception of how it's going to be, Jesus is going to do it better. He is going to do it better. Verse 31. And it says, And he will send his angels with a great sound of trumpet. I mean, can you imagine this trumpet blast, an angelic trumpet blast? Think about the trumpets that blew as the walls of Jericho came down. That's not going to have anything on this trumpet blast. 
The Bible says in Revelation that when Jesus spoke, it was as the sound of many waters. And I don't know if you've ever been next to a raging waterfall or by the ocean during a storm. The sound of that is so great that it just drowns everything else out. The whole world is going to hear the glory of God at the same time. And they'll gather together the elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. This is the rapture. This is the gathering together of the saints. He is going to go and unfold all the areas of the earth. Verse 32. Now learn this principle from the fig tree. You know, Jesus liked fig trees. He cursed one. And made a great example of it back in Mark 11, 11. And then when they didn't understand what he was talking about when he did it, in Mark 11, 22, 3, and 4, he gave us the revelation of it. We just inherited a couple little fig trees. I'm looking forward to having some figs off that thing. I know, we had like seven figs on it. Just baby trees. I'm looking forward to it. Now learn this from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these signs, know that it is near at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation. Now, when it talks about this generation, one thing that I know has been misinterpreted is is people say, see, that generation passed and the rapture has passed. What generation could Jesus be talking about? Well, the word there is actually genos. It literally is talking about a nation's age or time. So he was saying, as long as Israel exists, as long as this nation exists, it will happen during that time period. And Israel continues to exist. The devil has tried to wipe it off the earth a few times. But his chosen nation, his holy people, still remain. They are the genos, the the generation. They are the nation, the age, or the time. It will by no means pass away till all these things take place. I'm looking forward to great revival in Israel in the nation of Israel, in the hearts of Jews, that they would receive Messiah and be completed. That they would allow the Holy Spirit, whom much of the nation rejected. Now remember, not the whole nation. There are Messianic Jews all over the place. Thank the Lord for that. And Sister Barry Seif, who, and, uh, who's doing such a great work on behalf of Grace International with the Masiatic Jews. Melva Lee Phelps is doing an incredible work with the Kuhn Ministries and the Masonics. I'm believing that the nation is going to be touched in great revival. But you know what they're waiting for? The Jews are waiting for you. What do I mean? The Bible says that they are going to be provoked by you. They're going to be provoked to jealousy. 
What provokes a Jew to jealousy? Money. I can tell you that. Money. And until the church gets its act together, that part is missing. We have thought for so many generations and, and even centuries that money was so bad that we have not done anything to accumulate it as the church. We thought it was evil. We thought that, that you had to be poor and humble to be a good Christian. Well, the Jews are not looking for a poor and humble opportunity. I can tell you that. That's why they're in the diamond district. That's why they're in the jewelry district, the gold district. But this will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will pass away. See, that's what makes this word so powerful. It's eternal. God's word will never pass away. You can, you can bank on it today like you could 2,000 years ago, like you could 4,000 years ago. He is still the Lord that healeth you today, just like he was then. His name is still Yahweh Rophe, just like it was then. It never, ever changes. And even though this earth someday will disappear, and heaven will, will descend, and there will be a new Jerusalem, and his words will still remain. They'll still remain. It's something that you can count on. There's very little in this world you can count on and be assured of. But his word, you can be assured of. Because it never returns void. It always, that means 100% of the time. Some people may talk about giving 105%. But last time I checked, that's impossible. 100% of the time, the full measure, the full amount, his word never returns unproductive. It always accomplishes what it was sent to do. And it prospers. I love that. His word will never pass away. But of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. When? Well, the Father knows. And it won't happen a minute too soon or a minute too late. You know, there's many times I thought, boy, it would sure be nice if Jesus would have come in our day. But you know what? He didn't come a minute too soon. He didn't come a minute too late. He came right when God determined he needed to come. And he's going to return the same. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. See, it's going to be that way. There's not, it is going to come upon us. And the world is going to be doing what the world does. And that's why it's our responsibility as ministers of reconciliation to let the world know that Jesus is coming. And he's coming to call his saints home. What a great time it is. It's not a time to be worried about. It's a time to celebrate. It's not a time to go, what if? It's a time to press in. This is an opportunity. I don't know if you know it or not, because a lot of us are sheltered here in America, 
and, and, and we're limited by the, the, the you know, television and media that we get here, but at no time in human history have more people been coming into the kingdom of God than are coming into the kingdom right now. There is, there is coming, they're coming in by the thousands and ten thousands in the uh, Arab nations, in the oppressed nations inside of China and um, Russia, Africa. They're coming in in places who have not set up wealth as their God. In places that haven't made mammon their Lord. See, in America, things have become easy. I was talking with a businessman the other day, owns a restaurant. And we were, we were talking a little bit, and I, and I said, yes, one of the reasons why this new generation that is coming up has no respect is because they've faced no tribulation. They've been sheltered. They haven't had to fight in a World War I. They didn't have to endure World War II, Korea, or Vietnam. They don't know what it means to be drafted into service and, and, and forced because the nation has a need. My grandma used to tell me about um, these things they would give for rations, these ration coupons that you'd have to get. In America, and it wasn't that long ago, 80 years ago, 60 years ago, ration coupons. You remember the time where they, they wanted you to save all the bacon fat and all the, the you know, and, and we used to put it in cans so that you could take it because they needed it for the war effort. This generation doesn't know that. And I'm so glad this generation hasn't had to face adversity. We got technology and science and social uh, connections and stuff. But what has happened is they've lost touch with history. History is now being rewritten. And I was listening to a prominent uh, attorney uh, who he actually uh, doesn't have the same political views that I do, but he was talking about how he cannot believe what is happening in America today that young people are doing the same thing today that happened under Stalin. They're trying to rewrite history, take away monuments, take away memories of things, so that if they can erase history, now they can rewrite history with a socialistic viewpoint, and they don't have to be reminded about what socialism, communism did. You know, it's very interesting... I've heard people you know, refer to uh, people that we call conservatives as, as being um, Nazi-like. Let's remember that the Nazi party was the socialist party that Hitler overtook. It's the party that burned books. It's the party that limited speech. The answer to horrible speech is not silence. It's more speech. That's the reason why the Founding Fathers created the First Amendment to the Constitution was to protect the rights of every person, whether you agreed with them or not. I mean, whether you believe in hate speech, 
Hate speech should be protected. I don't agree with it. And I would imagine nobody here agrees with it. But the reason that it should be protected is because it is a liberty. It's what God gave us, the right to choose. And now they don't want to have discourse about things. If you don't agree with the social norms of the day, you should be silenced. This world is going to be doing the same things that they've always done. And, 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 and they're not going to recognize. That's why it's up to you and I to call forth and let them know that as this age turns and as things are not how they, they enjoyed or pictured them, that there is a hope, and His name is Jesus Christ. Verse 42, it says, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all his goods. See, God has a plan for us. And he wants us to continue to work, to labor, to continue to, to fight the good fight of faith, to continue to share this message. He wants to find us because he has something greater for us in the heavenly kingdom. And he wants to make us rulers over it. I mean, I'm not doing this because I get to be a ruler in heaven. But I want, I want him to find me being faithful when he comes, doing what he's asked me to do. No matter how little it is, whether it's you know, vacuuming a floor, cleaning a toilet, teaching a kid's class, greeting somebody at the door, being available on the prayer chain, whether it's cutting grass, volunteering when there's help needed, whether it's going and seeing somebody in the hospital, whatever it is, I want to be found faithful because of what he did for me. Because there is a day he's coming. And I don't want to be caught unaware. This world is unaware. They'll continue eating and drinking and doing all the rest of the debauchery that they do. But they need to hear the good news. And, and the only way that they will hear it is if we carry it to them. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pause this message there this morning. I think this is a very important message because it's an opportunity for everybody to see that there is a day that, that's coming that God who loves us so much is going to descend from heaven to reconcile us to Him. And I've asked Pastor Thor to come and, and conclude this message, because this is an important season we're living in. Amen.
You know, a lot of us assume, or I, I've heard it said, that some people assume that because they're born in the United States, they're Christians. That's an assumption. A dumb one, but an assumption. Some people believe because they grew up in the church that they're a Christian. Well, that totally is not so. No more than you sitting in a garage makes you a car. Amen? Now, I grew up in a traditional church. I learned the traditional things that the churches teach. Be good and follow the Ten Commandments. But there's one thing I never learned until I got later on in life, and that is this. We are God's creation. No mistake about that. But are we God's child? There's a difference. A lot of people think that, well, God created me, so I'm a Christian. No, he gives us all the opportunity to make the decision where we will spend eternity. And believe me, we do have an eternity ahead of us. But where we spend that eternity is up to us. We are the only living, breathing creatures that God created that he gave a choice to decide where they would spend eternity. We all have the same option. We all have the same opportunity to make that decision. There has to come a time in your life where the Holy Spirit speaks to you and said, there's got to be more, there's got to be something more in life other than what I'm experiencing right now. And I don't know if it's somebody here in the sanctuary or somebody watching by live stream. Don't turn the channel. Don't go away. Stay right there. Because I'm going to tell you something that you may need to tell somebody else. You may know where you stand with God. So growing up in the church... You know, we all know that scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, there's more to it than just head knowledge. We're speaking to the heart now. We're speaking to the spirit of man. The spirit of man will live on forever. But what we need to do sometime in our life is make that decision where our eternity is going to be. So guess what? Today is the day that you can make that decision to decide where you're going to spend your eternity. So the Bible says, and I learned this when I went to a church that taught what they call the full gospel. There are some churches that are teaching part of a gospel. There are some churches that take a couple of scriptures and they build their whole religion around that. We're talking more than just religion here. We're talking relationship. So I read this scripture, John chapter 3, verse 3. It says, except a man be born again or saved, as the term is used, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Born again, saved, I never heard that term before. How do you do that? Well, then this pastor told me, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We all have that responsibility to do. 
So I was so impressed by this pastor that gave me this invitation. He says, you wives that are standing next to your husbands, turn to them and ask them, would you like to go forward and ask Jesus to come into your heart? On that day, January 11th, 1975, my wife looked at me and posed that question. She had already received the Lord a few weeks, or actually a couple of months before me. But I saw a transition. I saw a change in her, a change that her upbringing could not have given her. So when she turned to me that day and said, would you like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I cried my way all the way to the altar because I knew something had to change in my life. Where I was going was not making me happy. I cried my way. You know, but raised on the East Coast, men don't cry. If you cry, you're a wimp, you're a whatever. Well, let me tell you something. When Jesus, when that Holy Spirit speaks to you and speaks to your heart, says, now is the time, today is the day. It's time to make the decision where you're going to spend eternity. Revelations chapter 3, verse 20 says, Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart, and I'm knocking right now, and I want to come in, but I can't come in unless you invite me. Today could be the first day of the rest of your life. If you've never prayed that prayer before, be bold, be strong. Say, yes, I want to spend eternity with God. And I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. I'm going to ask the congregation to repeat this prayer with me because we're here to support you. But you've got to say it with your mouth and mean it with your heart. Let's say it together. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart today. I ask you to be my Lord. I ask you to be my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me. I repent of my sin today. And I make you the Lord of my life. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if that's the first time you've prayed that prayer and you feel something going on, maybe you've got a tear in your eye today. Maybe the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today. Faith without works is dead. You've taken that step of faith. You asked Jesus to come into your heart. Now what you need to do, you need to follow up. Get that Bible off the shelf or off the coffee table, wherever it is. Dust it off. Let the cobwebs come out. Open up to the book of John. Read the book of John first. That's the life of Jesus. And every day when you start your day, say, Lord, here I am. I. Here I am. Take me where you want me to go. Do with me what you want me to do. And I'll tell you, there's nothing like it. I've never experienced it in all the times I've, when I was an alcoholic, I was looking for something to satisfy me, and alcohol didn't satisfy me. Smoking didn't satisfy me. But the day I said, Jesus, come into my heart, there was a gap there that got filled, and nothing else could fill. So my word to you is, today, welcome to the family. 
Hallelujah, you are a new person in Christ Jesus. Your spirit now has been renewed, renewed, and let it be renewed in the Word. Give God the first part of every day. You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Whitwab. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321. Or by email at info at valorcc.com. That's info at valorcc.com or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85296.